Hello, everyone. This is Sonata Allison. You're listening to episode 10 of the Parallel Podcast, where we talk about sexuality as it should be. So I wanted to do this episode because I think there can be a disconnect for a lot of Christians when it comes to the importance of self-love and self-care. I think a lot of churches emphasize the importance of um, emptying yourself of selfishness and the importance of serving others, which is awesome and biblically sound. But when it's uh, when it puts you in a place where you use serving to feel needed or to feel enough or worthy, um, that's when it can be an issue. And that's why I think this conversation is so important to have. So let's get right into it. I think it's important for Christians to love themselves. Um, You will not find anywhere in the Bible where it says you should not love yourself. Now, I know there are some Christians who say we don't need to focus on self-love because as humans, we're already selfish. It's in our nature to focus on ourselves and please ourselves. And I would agree. Um, sin has made us selfish, but, um, what was just described was not love. What I just described was self-centeredness and self-centeredness is not love. Being selfish is not love. Those things are idolatry and do not need to be mixed up in the conversation about Christians loving themselves. Now, there are a lot of rah-rah people saying the most ultimate love is self-love, love yourself and your life will be better. Put all your trust in you. And that is not what I'm promoting here. So I want you to think for a second about this. A man comes to this earth. He lives a perfect life, then dies in your place. He says you're enough, adopts you into his family, is patient with you, supportive, and wants the best for you. Do you think that it would be in this person's character to then turn to you and say, love others as I've loved you, but don't love yourself in that way? A man who says he forgets our sins and there's no longer any condemnation, but doesn't call you to have the same posture in your relationship with yourself. It just wouldn't make sense. And I think the lack of self-love in churches is uh, what allows for a lot of stank people in leadership. And yes, I think stank is an appropriate word to use. These people are trash with their relationships. They're dismissive of others and don't respond well to conviction. Um, At the base of that, they're obviously not in right standing with the Lord, but I just want you to imagine how their relationship with themselves is. There has to be inner conflict, bitterness, lack of accountability, and lack of forgiveness for themselves and others. Um, I don't think you could show me a person who understands God's love for them and loves themselves, but is a trash friend, a trash coworker, spouse, or sibling. It just wouldn't make sense to me. And for some people, they genuinely don't hold themselves to a high enough esteem to even see how impactful their words and their actions are. So first, I want to talk about understanding God's love for you, because if your self-love is based in anything else, you going to fail you every time. Um, If you base it on your looks or your job or how much attention you get from others, you don't love yourself. You love the reflection you see of yourself through other things. And when those things fail you, or disappear, so does your identity. So I want to tell you guys a little bit about my journey to self-love. So growing up in New York, a very diverse area, I didn't encounter a lot of prejudice or racism. Um, Or I'll say it wasn't blatant because redlining is a thing. Look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. 
Um, but you really couldn't tell me anything. You know what I'm saying? I was young, but as a New Yorker or any Northerners, you may know, like you grow up a lot faster there for whatever reason. So, um, as I've told you guys, once I had eyesight and could walk and speak, I knew boys were for me and boys like me and I like boys. So people would always tell me how pretty I was, parents, friends, people at church in public. So you couldn't tell me nothing. But then I moved to Florida, Ocala, Florida, to be exact. And that's when I really came to the understanding of what prejudice really is. And I don't say racism because I don't think people hated me because I was black, but people definitely made judgments about me because I was black. So when I moved to Florida, I went from an all black and Hispanic elementary school to a white, small, private Christian school with like pepper flakes of brown people sprinkled through. Um, Our classes were small and you would go to every class with the same people every class period. And it was me, a mixed girl and a Hispanic boy. And then like two years later, two more black people came and that's it. So you can just imagine the culture shock I experienced. But on top of that, I'd hear or like overhear conversations between the Caucasians saying things like, if your hand can't move, it's dirty. And luckily, my little braid could move. So I was safe with that one. But I would be asked questions about like not sunburning or like burning or uh, not. uh, What is it? What do you call it? not sunburning, not getting sunburn. I would get questions about not getting sunburn or like hear stuff about not being able to swing, swim. And quick, quick sidebar, all y'all black people in the South, understandably because of slavery and not being able to swim, allowed to swim with the white people less than 60 years ago. Y'all are making the black people up North look bad. Y'all need to learn how to swim. Okay. Because your stereotypes are being attached to me and that had nothing to do with me. we be swimming up North. And I think it was also because maybe there was like more community pools up north as well. But I digress. Another aspect was that I was 4'11". I was a little 4'11 skinny thing. Now, um, I'm not talking skin and bones because I've always been athletic. I grew up in a household um, where you're either in or you're out. And you may understand that just from that little phrase. <laughs> and I'd get in trouble for not coming home before the streetlights were on. I played basketball. I ran track. So don't come for me. I was, just a li- I was just a late bloomer, as they say. So sometimes people would call me toothpick or talk about how skinny I was or, like, make fun of my forehead. Um, just normal kid stuff, you know. But having all that change and instability and culture shock at once was a lot for me um, and my little old identity. Then on top of that, I realized that in the South, there are black boys who don't like black girls. That's the thing that shocked me the most. I've told this boy I liked him, a boy that was the same skin color as me, and he said through the phone into my ear that he doesn't like black girls. Now, when I when I tell you when I heard this, my brain looked like that one meme when the white lady is doing arithmetic and, and can't figure it out. I literally could not wrap my, my words. I literally could not wrap my mind around it. Like to this day, that blows my mind. So coming from New York, I never even heard of that in my whole teenage life. And then I realized more and more that my pieces weren't hitting in my little dating world. And all throughout my middle school experience, these white girls were getting chose up by all the black boys. And I went to a basically all white school where I, you know what? I knew some of the white boys found me attractive, but they knew dang well not to try to date me. 
And I think if I lived in a different area of Ocala, it would be different. But um, that was not my reality. So one day in the eighth grade, I sat me down and I realized I need to find my worth in God or something else. You know, I was just kind of thinking, like, what do I what can I do to, like, get it back? You know what I'm saying? Because my pieces are not hitting out here. Uh, I'm cute. But like, what's going on in this world? So I said to myself, I need to find my worth in something that's going to that cannot change. My little eighth grade self, I, I'm I'm proud of me for doing this because who's thinking about this in eighth grade? Um, but also I'm more proud of Jesus because he put this in my heart, obviously, because he is sovereign. Um, so I was thinking like, you know, what I'm saying I need to find my worth in God because these kids really had me out here thinking just like Cardi B said once upon a time. And I thought that I was ugly. So instead of looking to the world, I looked to the Bible. So at this time, my relationship with Jesus was very Zeusical. And when I say that, it's like Zeus from Hercules. Um, I was very scared of the man upstairs and I knew my mans could take me out at any moment. So I wasn't able to rely on his compassion and affections for me. But I did grow up in a home where scriptures were memorized and confessions were common. So I did remember that in Genesis 1:31 it says that God saw all that he made. And he said, what? He said it was very good. So I thought to myself, your God created you, sweetheart. Obviously, I was not there in the flesh when he created all the things. You know what I'm saying? On them seven days. But God is consistent, right? And he's intentional with all his creation. So I said to me, girl, God looks at you and he says it's good. Then I remembered Ephesians 2.10. And I said, the Lord, and it said, the Lord says you are a masterpiece, honey. And then Psalms 139.14 uh, says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Speak that over yourself enough and no one can tell you anything. And from that point on in the eighth grade, my confidence just boosted from there because it was rooted in something and someone who would never change and someone who loves me well and would never change his mind about me. So that did help me look in the mirror and be like, girl, I don't even know what these people are sleeping on. They sleeping on you. But it also helped me on a deeper level knowing that my worth is validated on a deeper level. It's not just my looks. And I'm going to tell you right now, your self-confidence will make people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it again. Your self-confidence will make people uncomfortable. And people are going to want to knock you down to size. But sweetie, no ma'am. Stand in the words of the Lord. My God said those things. And I understand self-confidence can make people think you're conceited. People have said that about me before as like, before they got to know me and then they got to know me and they're like oh it's all about Jesus over here and they're correct um and I'm allowed to like my face the face that God gave me you're allowed to like your face I literally did nothing to make it the way it is we didn't do nothing the Lord literally put it on and, and you gotta wear it like you had no part in it so I'm allowed to be grateful for this one face that I was given and you should feel the same way too Luke 12, 7 says the Lord has counted every single hair on your head. And if God is mindful of the birds of the sky, you shall not fear because you are more valuable than the sparrow. Psalms 56, 8 says that he keeps track of every tear. And there is beautiful imagery in the Bible about how you um, are like clay and God is the potter. And he it takes his time to mold you into what he wants you to be. You are so loved. His affections are for you. So I pray that you walk in this understanding and give yourself the same intention um, and aspire to allow yourself to love you in this way. And for a while, I struggled to be patient with myself. 
it stole my struggle and recently i posted philippians 1 6 on the parallel instagram um, which speaks about how he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion and that is not an opinion or a verse like expressing a desire like it's the truth it is a promise that jesus makes to us jesus will bring the good work to completion so be patient with you and compassionate um, but also be obedient to the Lord and love yourself through being obedient to Christ because he's the only one who knows what's best for you. And he's the only one that can see ahead of you. This also leads me to speak about the importance of allowing yourself to set boundaries for others, um, but also for yourself. I want to remind you that uh, Corinthians six eighteen through 20 says to flee from sexual immorality. Just like my man Joseph did. Run, get out of there. It's not for you. It says every other sin a person commits is outside of their body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Jesus is pinpointing sinning against yourself right here. He gives importance to your relationship with yourself and your temple. Um, in this case, uh, it's a lack of protection for yourself. You're, you're not protecting your body, which is sacred, where the Holy Spirit dwells. You're not loving yourself and loving yourself refers to physical protection, but also to relational. This is why abuse is punished in marriage. Um, and it says you have the right to divorce. That is giving you permission to love yourself and not stay in abusive situations. Um, there are many times in the Bible where Jesus literally removes himself from crowds, from friends, and from those who want to harm him or just to get away. And he leaves and goes to a safe space to spend time with his father. At one point, I thought, like, you just love people like Jesus did. If people just want to hurt you, let them. That's what seemed to be outlined in Luke six twenty nine when it says, you know, when someone strikes you, give them the other cheek. If they take your coat, um, don't withhold your shirt from them. Um, I never got, you know, that first one committed to heart. I never will. But I believe that verse is more referring to persecution for Christian Christ follower, followers. It's about like furthering your understanding to to see that we will be persecuted for Christ. And that's OK. But I used to take it like some people, uh, some other people may where you like think you have to allow people to hurt you and you just keep being kind. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, this is when self-love comes in. Um Jesus would never handle you carelessly, so you shouldn't allow that either. You are allowed to address issues that concern you in relationships, and you're allowed to separate yourself from people who are careless with you. And also to pray that the Lord will bless you with people that understand love. That's uh, a nod to Matthew 18:15, Galatians 6, 1, and so many other verses. But I want to pinpoint um, Matthew 22:39, and it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I know everyone has heard that, right? Um, but this is not a cute metaphor. Um, it's a command. We can't separate the double meaning here. Jesus is calling us to love our neighbor. So that's exhibiting all the fruits of the spirit in those relationships. But another part of the verse says, as yourself, love others as you love yourself. That is what Jesus said. So if anyone condemns you for loving yourself in a healthy way, they have completely missed one of the greatest commandments in the Bible. So I hope this was encouraging and has inspired you to do some reflection. Um, as you guys know, you can follow The Parallel on Instagram at The Parallel Pod. And I will talk to you guys next week. Remember to speak the truth in love, guys. Bye.